Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to the Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. We are back with yet another outstanding addition to the Conversation Series. Earlier this season, we solo-dived into the abduction phenomenon. Today's guest has a rather unique expertise and perspective on the subject. She is truly one of a kind, and I am so grateful she agreed to come on the show and share her knowledge with us all. We will get right to that chat following a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Paranorm Girl podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Our friends at Manscaped now have beard products and are going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your man's South Pole. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for his hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade his game by going to manscaped.com and using the code PNG to get 20% off and free shipping. Let me paint a picture here for you. You're attending a gathering. You're going to meet some new friends. You're stepping into the restaurant for a first date. You swagger through the door, ready for the night to begin, when all of a sudden, all conversation halts. Maybe there's a record player in the corner that does that scratching sound, and it goes silent. You can hear a pin drop. And everyone is turned and staring at you, my friend. Now, if you keep everything in tip-top shape with your, say, beard hedger or your new weed whacker 2.0, this might be a fun 
albeit dramatic, reaction to get. But you can carry on confidently because you look spectacular. But one rogue nose, ear, or even beard hair can be the difference between receiving the right or wrong kind of attention, my dudes. In acting class, they used to tell us that the director could know within the first 10 seconds of you stepping out on stage before you've even started your monologue, whether or not they wanted to work with you. That first impression can be a lasting impression. And trust, you want to be remembered as someone paying attention to the small details, not the guy with the nose hairs that wiggled every time he exhaled. (laughs) General rule of thumb, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Easily get this one right and save 20% off and get free shipping when you use code PNG at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code PNG. Trust Manscaped for the only right tools for the job. My guest is an award-winning researcher and an author of numerous books covering cases of ET contact and her investigations into the abduction phenomenon. In 2013, she received MUFON's Researcher of the Year Award, and in 2021, she was the recipient of the International UFO Congress Lifetime Achievement Award. She is widely considered one of the leading UFO contact researchers of our lifetime. She was the founder and past director of MUFON's Experiencer Resource Team, and she is also niece to Betty and Barney Hill. Please enjoy my conversation with Kathleen Marden. 13 years old when I just sort of fell into this field because Betty and Barney Hill were my aunt and uncle. And Betty called my mother that very day. And uh, when they arrived home and I had arrived home from school and heard the story within a couple of days, I was at their house with my parents and you know it all sort of unfolded from there betty and barney were you know close relatives we saw them often uh, at least once a week and they uh, engaged in a lot of social activities with the children in the family as well as the adults so uh, i had the opportunity I guess you'd call it an opportunity to see the unfolding of what occurred after um, they were, they had this close encounter. They weren't aware that they had been taken to craft, but they had so many memories and, and questions of finding themselves in a different place and missing time and spots on the car. All of that got me really interested. And then the hypnosis came along a little more than two years later. And I think that put me on the career path I went on uh, in psychiatric social work. And I I wanted to learn as much as I could about human psychology um, and about memory, hypnosis, that kind of thing. 
so professionally, I, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in, and they called it social service with a uh, concentration in psychiatric social work. I'd done uh, some time at the state psychiatric hospital in Concord, New Hampshire. Um, as part of one of my classes, we'd go up there it's either once or twice a week uh, to spend time with the uh, patients at the hospital. And then um, I ended up getting married to a man who was studying for his doctorate in the philosophy of psychiatry. So studied along with him while I uh, was supporting the family. It was going to be my turn to finish graduate school when he completed his doctorate. And uh, so I ended up teaching and doing graduate work in education. It wasn't until about 1990 when I just left the field and decided to uh, investigate my aunt and uncle's case uh, to do the most thorough investigation I think of it that anyone has ever done. Uh, I had access to my aunt Betty. Barney died when he was only 46 years old. He had a massive cerebral hemorrhage. But Betty and I were very close, gave me the opportunity to do as much research and investigation as I wanted. And I had uh, the hypnosis tapes that I transcribed. Uh, my husband and I drove along the entire route that Betty and Barney took uh, on that fateful night in 1961. Uh, I had all of the archival documents. I uh, did an extensive investigation, much more uh, scientific analysis of the evidence than had ever been done before. And you know, all of this was so fascinating that uh, when the Mutual UFO Network asked me to become their uh, founder and director of the Experiencer Research Team, uh, I said, yes, <laughs> I would. And uh, so for 10 years, I began and developed this team. We hadn't had a team before that, so they call me the founder. And uh, we now have about 65 members. And this is the compassionate side of MUFON. Um, we, uh, our members, speak with people who reach out to MUFON for help. They've had these experiences and they're seeking understanding, um, compassion, caring, that sort of thing. Uh, and our members are uh, well-educated in this particular field. They know what they're talking about. And they're not trying to determine whether a person has been abducted or not. Uh, I always think that it's up to experiencers to collect their evidence. And I uh, teach experiencers on how to collect evidence because it doesn't do any good at all if you ask for an investigation, but you have zero evidence. So uh, it's essentially a compassionate outreach for people. But uh, I've worked on three studies on a about 5,000 experiencers is too, uh, looking for commonalities. 
that experiencers share. So I've uh, done quite a lot of work in the field. Yeah, yes, you <laughs> have. Oh, wow. You know what? Um, something that occurred to me as you were telling us that history uh, and something that I really appreciated about uh, reading in the book, I, I did pick up a copy of the uh, extraterrestrial contact, what to do when you've been abducted. Um, when I, I did not realize there was this side to MUFON and how compassionate that really is, because what you are dealing with, with is a lot of folks who are extremely traumatized from mm -hmm. these experiences. And I, and I like that it's, it's not up to you to decide, yes, whether or not they've been abducted, you know, it's really up to them. Um, but just being that compassionate ear that they so desperately need. And also on the flip side of that, um, I was, uh, it, it was it was extremely upsetting reading through when uh, it was it was all grouped together all of the past abduction experiences and well known cases that a lot of us would be familiar with like the Walton case and and so on um, mm -hmm. and just how hard the skeptical side of this how hard they work to discredit and tarnish these people's lives and and their reputation and that was just so upsetting to see that but so glad that there were people like you <laughs> working to just support them because you know they they need it you know i agree it is the disinformants who have worked very very hard um forever it seems since the beginning of the uh Air Force's investigation, Navy's investigation of all of this, dating back to the mid-1940s, um, there have been individuals who are closely associated with uh, in the intelligence community who uh, have attempted to convince the public that none of this is real and have been terribly critical and have actually invented information, uh, invented speculations, distorted information, outright lied about people uh, such as my aunt and uncle, such as Travis Walton, and all of the others whose cases went forward to the public, whether or not they wanted them to be made known to the public. I mean, for so many experiencers, uh, the, it, it was a violation of confidentiality, or in their effort to find help, they just went to the wrong people and it became uh, public knowledge. But then the attacks began. And that's part of the reason why I took the approach that I took in what I do, because I, it breaks my heart to see people who are already traumatized by their abduction experience, but here they are more traumatized by this disinformation campaign. Right, yeah, yeah. And you know, with the violation of uh, just a person's confidentiality, that that's exactly what took place with your aunt and uncle. You know, they did not want that story out there and that it kind of forced their hand a bit um, before mm -hmm. we get too too far into the abduction phenomenon and that experience and and all the little details with that um 
I would just be over the moon if if Miss Kathleen Martin would give us give us that uh, rundown of that case from from beginning to end and just your experience, your personal participation in that, what you remember. Well, in a nutshell, um, I already spoke about being 13. We went to Betty's and Barney's house a couple of days later. Um, what happened and what I learned on that day was that Betty and Barney were just returning home from a short vacation to Niagara Falls. And then they went up to Montreal. And uh, this is separate days. It wasn't one long trip without sleep, as some of the disinformants tell us <laughs> <laughs> when they try to say it was all a hallucination because they were so tired. That's not true. <laughs> but anyway, they were driving through upstate New Hampshire when there was a new light in the sky and it was moving erratically and uh, it was coming in closer and closer and closer until finally it surged ahead of betty and barney and stopped right over their lane in the highway barney had to stop the car uh, so that he wouldn't be directly under that craft i've investigated many cases where uh, <laughs> the people have tried to drive underneath that craft and they've ended up being pulled up On into it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so Barney stopped the car in the middle of the road and opened the door and stepped out, grabbed his binoculars and looked up and he and Betty were looking at a disc-shaped craft, silent, just hovering, hanging in the air over them about a hundred feet above them. Um, they could see a lighted uh, panel of windows. And Barney stopped, stepped back from the car. And when he did, the craft shifted to an adjacent field. And he walked toward that field. It had now descended even lower. And he looked up at the craft through binoculars and he was able to see uh, figures looking back at him. In the first report that they've ever wrote about the figures themselves, it was dated September 26, 1961, only days after they had this event. Um, they wrote that they were, these figures were dressed in black shiny uniforms and that uh, they, what Barney saw was so frightening that he had developed a mental block for the features on their faces. But Barney knew that somehow they, they were somehow not human. Well, as activity transpired on that craft, something started to drop down out of the bottom of the craft. We now know that it's a carrier beam. I actually have photographs that were taken uh, just prior to an abduction. There was a video. Uh, captured this for about three seconds, not very long, but before the camera shut down. Anyway, so the carrier beams coming down, Barney doesn't know what it is, but he suddenly senses that he is going to be captured like a bug in a net, is what he said. And he pulled the binoculars from his eyes so forcefully that he broke the strap. He went screaming back to the car to Betty. They had to get out of there or they were going to be captured. This, the title of my book. 
<laughs> Good title. <laughs> yes, I you know had a real struggle trying to determine <laughs> what to title it, but that came to me finally. And so um, they're speeding down the highway. As Barney entered the car, he saw the craft moving back in his direction over the car, and all of a sudden they heard a series of code-like buzzing sounds striking the trunk of their vehicle. Uh, they compared it to a tuning fork, the sound of a tuning fork that might have been dropped, those kinds of buzzes. And they were loud and short. And as they were striking the car, Betty and Barney felt a tingling sensation passing through their bodies, and the car began to vibrate. The next thing they knew, they were 35 miles down the highway, had very little memory for what had transpired in the interim. They did remember finding themselves on a dirt road with tall trees all around, no longer on the highway. They did remember a roadblock and they did remember a fiery orb that mm, they thought might've been sitting on the ground. And then suddenly here they are in this new location, another series of these code-like buzzing sounds and no craft this time. Betty looked up, did not see the craft. Barney stopped the car. And then they just drove on mm -hmm. home. Uh, when they were driving, they were looking for human contact. They wanted to find a police officer, someone they could report this to. They didn't find anyone along the route home. And when they arrived home, they realized that they were later than they had anticipated. It should have taken only three hours from the uh, time they heard these buzzing sounds for them to arrive home, less than three hours, probably two and a half. It took five to five and a half hours. So um, they knew they had this missing time. They found torn clothing, uh, deeply scraped uh, toes on Barney's shoes, uh, spots, new shiny spots on the trunk of the car that caused the compass needle to spin indicating a magnetic field, just uh, all kinds of things of evidence that something mysterious that they couldn't quite remember completely uh, had occurred. And this was perplexing. They ended up going to uh, Dr. Simon, a famous neuropsychiatrist, a little more than two years later, because Barney was so distressed by this that he developed a life-threatening condition, bleeding ulcers. He was hospitalized and his uh, treatment had been unsuccessful. So with traditional medical treatment, so he was referred to Dr. Simon. He, was, he had developed a hypnotic technique during World War II. It was very successful in treating veterans who were returning from the war with what we called shell shock and conversion hysteria. In those days, um, the soldiers had physiological problems that were psychogenically induced. Uh, he was so successful that the movie Let There Be Light was made about his work during World War II. It was a John Huston movie. Oh, okay. I've, I've, I have not heard of it. 
Let There Be Light. You I'm, will I'm writing it down. <laughs> awesome. Okay. And you'll get a view of Dr. Simon when he was young as well. <laughs> he was in, in the army. He was a colonel in the army yeah. in that time frame. So um, he was very helpful with uh, Barney and uh, he agreed to see Betty. He took them separately and for hypnosis and he reinstated amnesia at the end of each session. So of course they couldn't uh, talk about what they remember. They couldn't contaminate one another's information. And then at the end of all of these sessions uh, that they had, they had a couple of months of uh, psychotherapy with Dr. Simon, where they listened to what the other had stated under hypnosis, and then they talked about it. Mm -hmm. So um, it was about six months in all when they saw him. Um, and in 1965, their information was released as a violation, a result of a violation of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. There was uh, five articles published in a Boston newspaper. Uh, it traveled around the world. And then Betty and Barney decided to uh, cooperate with a mainstream writer who wanted to write their story. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Simon cooperated as well. And he did that. It was not accurate. It was something for the public so that they wouldn't become uh, hysterical over what really did happen. Right. Um, so uh, the, the author had to um, interject false information to create intrigue, to create doubt, all of that different than the kind of work that I did as an investigator and that Stanton Friedman nuclear physicist did as an investigator as well yeah gosh oh, what was it like to work with stanton it was uh, great i we we had a wonderful time together we had a good uh working relationship we ended up speaking from the sta same stage many times many times separately as well uh, always shared a vendor table at conferences did a lot of uh, this type of shows together as well. We ended up writing three books in all. Um, we got along very well in the work we did. You know, he was a nuclear physicist and I, my background was in social science. So the two of us were coming from entirely different perspectives in a sense, but we agreed. Uh, Stanton always said that he thought that our thought processes were very, very similar the way we digested uh, information and processed it. So uh, we uh, got along well together in that respect and worked well together. He was way up in Canada and I'm down here in Florida. So we only saw each other at conferences, but we spoke a lot on the telephone and uh, would send our chapters back and forth to one another and go over them and then steal some time during conferences just when we could sit down and and go over our work together yeah uh, yeah just two very intelligent folks researchers investigators making a very good team together i must say i miss him it was yeah. uh, such a pleasure to work with him i feel honored to have had that opportunity 
Yeah. Well, you're not alone. A lot of people miss him and, and what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. I, I totally got sucked into the story all over again. I think that's one of the first um, abduction cases that I ever came across. And it was one of the first ones that I, I, I dove into a bit on this season. Of course, this season we're covering UFOs and the ET uh, phenomenon that's going to cover abductions as well. Um, and that was uh, one of the first ones that I really looked into more in depth. And there's just, mm-hmm. it's one of those cases that is just so compelling across the board. And there's all these different pieces to it, like like all of the pieces of evidence that Betty and Barney had, but the hypnosis sessions and the fact that they were separated and were able, they were able to piece together these two separate accounts, the same, you know, same details. Um, there, there's just something so convincing and compelling about that. It's like, how? You know, I did a comparative analysis of their separate statements under hypnosis, and it's all in captured. And... Uh, it, uh, it it was extraordinary. I was being as scientific and objective as possible, but by the time I finished that comparative analysis of their statements, um, there was no doubt in my mind. When you put it together with the scientific evidence, there's no doubt that this would convict in a court of law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, on that note. I would love to speak with you <laughs> if you've got the time. Um, basically, like the, the ABCs of abduction, um, you know, f- just full disclosure, I, I I didn't know what I felt about abduction. I really didn't because I was having such a hard time marrying the idea of UFO, which, you know, a lot of people have seen them, um, taken photo evidence, video evidence, and then the concept of abduction, which requires these NHI entities, which I've never had the experience, as I told you. Um, I don't have that firsthand um, knowledge about, so I was having a hard time marrying the two. But after reading the book, uh, Extra I'll say it again, extraterrestrial contact, what to do when you've been abducted. Um, I was very compelled by what you and and your three um, uh, colleagues uh, had to say in that book. And so I would love to go through some of that information with you. I think maybe just to start out, um, this may be simple, but I didn't really understand the difference. Can you talk about the difference or the usage of abductee, experiencer, and contactee? And is there a difference? <laughs> I would be happy to. Um, you know, the word contactee was the first term ever used uh, with people who had had contact with these non-human entities back in the 50s who were often described as appearing like uh, space brothers. They were fairly human in their appearance, but non-human at the same time. They said that they uh, had come from another planet and they were here to assist in our development and uh, willing to work with the people of earth as long as our governments were willing to cooperate because they were not going to give evidence uh, to one country without giving it to all other countries Um, uh, sort of uh, their technology for example they would only give a little piece and we all had to cooperate. You'll know that never happened. And uh, so the government was 
uh, quite adamant about making all of these people from the 1950s look like a bunch of attention-seeking nuts. Mm -hmm. And then Eddie and Barney. This was a different group of ETs. This was the first scientifically uh, investigated case of alien abduction in the United States. But there were other reports before that. And I have received many reports of have investigated abductions that occurred before that time frame. But Betty and Barney had so much evidence. An abduction was where you were being taken on craft and given a medical examination. Um, tissue samples were being taken from your body. You know, what I think as I reflect on all of this, I think that the ETs who were probably in charge, who looked pretty human, uh, were frustrated because their plan had failed. And so now I think that they introduced the greys uh, in order to collect DNA. They were going about collecting flora and fauna from all around the world. And um, what's that tell me? They were concerned that human behavior could not be changed. They were concerned that we would end up destroying this planet. Mm -hmm. They uh, saw us detonating nuclear weapons. They saw our failure to be good stewards to our environment. And they thought we'd better get busy collecting DNA. So in case these warlike people uh, destroy everything on our planet, we, at least we'll have all of this DNA to seed this planet or another planet. Okay, okay, so insurance. Yes, that's what I think happened. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, after the greys came uh, the mantis types, the reptilian types, a lot of different uh, types. Now, did these human types create these other types? I don't, I don't have the answer, but they, most of them appear to work in concert with one another. There are some reptilian types who are just plain malevolent, malevolent, and they do not work in concert with any of the others. Mm -hmm. The others kind of keep them at bay. But, you know, that's my sort of overall sense after having studied this in depth for something like 35 years, mm -hmm. probably, and, and knowing about it for most of my life. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, you know, and, and I didn't go into experience. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> must not forget that. Experiencer <laughs> is a term that was invented by uh, Dr. John Mack, famous John Mack from Harvard University, who was studying all of this. And he came up with the term experiencer uh, to, because it was an inclusive term. It included both contactees and abductees and everyone in between. Anyone who had uh, experience of being taken to craft regardless of the purpose. 
could be called an experiencer. So it wasn't um, defining it as positive or negative. It was you know, just a, sort of a, a, an amorphous term that could be used. Okay, just something a bit more all-encompassing. Yeah, you might say. Okay, okay, yeah, because I, I noticed that that was that seemed to be the the preferred term used in the book was experiencer. That that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh. Next, very basic question: What is UFO abduction syndrome? UFO abduction syndrome was identified by Bud Hopkins and Ted Davis in cooperation with Dr. Don C. Don Derry, who was a professor at McGill University, a professor of psychology who had done many research experiments during his career at the university. So Bud Hopkins, we all know, um, artist from New York City who uh, was a pioneer researcher in this field, Ted Davis, who is a psychiatric social worker. They use the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory in order to develop a test. And that test was designed to determine whether a person who believed they'd been abducted uh, and had, whose case had been investigated uh, was actually an abductee who had UFO abduction syndrome, a wannabe, who really wanted to have these experiences, but had not. You might think they had, but they oh. hadn't. And then members of the general population who were unlike the other two groups. So uh, Dr. Don Derry took these 600 questions that they used to develop this test and tested uh, a college population and experiencers of contact or abductees, I should say, that was the terminology used in those days. And they, he reduced it to 65 true and false questions. And then he was able to standardize it and uh, grade this test. So uh, it was something that we used in our study at the Mutual UFO Network over a three-year period with uh, experiencers mm -hmm. who had come to us uh, believing that they had been taken. Okay, okay. Well, that, that leads us perfectly into that. I, I definitely wanted to ask you about that survey and mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the information that, that you gleaned from it uh, because it was such an in-depth study over three years. Um, and, and you certainly got a lot of respondents to that survey. So would you mind just kind of giving us a, a, a brief overview of what that was about? And then uh, we can go into detail about what you found. Uh, we were looking for commonalities that experiencers share that are not common in the general population. But we wanted to know who these experiences were. Were they really abductees, contactees, what were they? Um, or were they simply hoaxers who were trying to mess with our evidence? And so we were able to identify those individuals who were hoaxers and remove uh, a lot of those from the, the overall uh, surveys 
and also to identify wannabes and remove them. So that what we came down with was good evidence that these people actually had contact. And we then divided them into three groups. We had the, the survey takers, everybody. Then we had those who had UFO abduction syndrome, and we had those who we considered to be contactees, because for the most part, uh, they were kind of way out on the periphery uh, in uh, the testing that Dr. Don Derry did. To uh, they were they had UFO abduction syndrome, but they were not near the center of having UFO abduction syndrome. Okay, and uh, those that end group. Those, that contactee group uh, actually had six members who were having extraordinarily negative contact, but we just didn't know where to fit them. They were way off too. Like they, they didn't have the characteristics of UFO abduction syndrome, mm -hmm. so to speak. Okay. Was it surprising to you guys at all with the sheer amount of positive experiences because as i recall the negative were was far outweighed by the positive or even neutral experiences yes i was very surprised by that because i think of mufon as being an organization that people go to when they are feeling traumatized that they're feeling that they've been abducted mm -hmm. but uh when we asked if you um would end your experiences today if you could. 71% uh, of the survey takers said, no, I don't want to end my experiences. And then for the abductee group, it was 75% who did not want to end their experiences. Now, I thought they would probably all want to end their experiences. So that was really surprising. So I wanted to know why wouldn't you want to end you know, being taken to craft and put on a table. And they said because they wanted information and they were beginning to receive information from these non-humans. Mm -hmm. And many of them had been healed. They were growing older. They might have developed physiological conditions that were debilitating. And these ETs were healing. So this was extraordinarily interesting to me yeah so for a lot of them it was it was a beneficial relationship mutually beneficial mm -hmm. but for the most part when we asked if they were highly positive highly negative or somewhere in the middle the vast majority said that they were um, like both positive and negative or neutral you might say mm -hmm. uh, very they were business-like in their behavior Okay. Okay. And um, I, I'm trying to remember, I think the thought um, along the lines of some of the negative experiences, and you do go into this a bit in the book, is not all NHI entities are ET. We're, that It's not necessarily what we're talking about. It could be some lower dimensional entities, some that don't have any good interest for us, you know, in mind, um, that just need that, that fear, that, that inner lower energy to feed themselves like that. And they can be mistaken for 
ET encounters. Is is that absolutely right? Yeah. Okay. And some people who've had ET encounters have opened themselves up to having these negative attachments. If um, I wrote about a case in Texas, this was a commercial pilot who was now operating a small airport, and he had an abduction experience. It was taken. And uh, he had an extraordinarily negative reaction to this. And he started shooting at them. Uh, he was just so negative and hateful in his approach. And he ended up attracting these uh, lower vibrating entities mm -hmm. who attached to him, who made him extraordinarily ill who came back time and time again, deep scratches down his chest. Um, so he was having all kinds of what you might think of as paranormal experience, where these interdimensionals were just showing up and wreaking havoc in his life. Uh, it was a very unfortunate case. You can read about it in my book, Extraterrestrial Contact. And uh, I wanted to write about positive cases, negative cases, and cases in between, too. Yeah, yeah. And how to deal with those and understand what is going on and how to stop it <laughs> if you want to stop it. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean, it being... Um on that level of like like confusion that that some people might be mistaking um extraterrestrials for a paranormal entity and just that confusion it had me thinking uh wondering are these encounters with with extraterrestrials are they happening on a spiritual or energetic plane or is there a, a physical aspect to these abductions well, <laughs> that is extraordinarily complex, and I've been looking for the answer to that question for a very long time. I can tell you what I know. I have photographs of, or video actually, of these entities coming in. You can see them on the film, on the camera. You can see them dropping off a light beam. They are translucent to begin with, and they solidify, become more material as they reach the ground. I think that there's interdimensional activity, but I think that, in, that it might be related to their technology so that they uh, can come into our dimension and they can take us to their dimension. Mm -hmm. So that is in support of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think that a lot of this is extraterrestrial in nature. Some of it may simply be interdimensional. I know uh, in the research that I've done and the experiments that I've worked on that these entities uh, way back in 1954 spoke with uh, Admiral Herbert Knowles and uh, Wilbert Smith, a brilliant engineer from um, Canada. He was the, the Canada's UFO guy for the government. Mm -hmm. And they were given information 
And that information is that these entities only came through when we started to detonate nuclear weapons. That oh. this caused a tear in the fabric, in the time-space continuum. And that they were very concerned because our destruction was going out into their where they live, their dimensions, causing damage in other dimensions. So they had to come through. They said it was very dangerous, a dangerous mission, but they had to come through to repair the breaks in our magnetic field. And so there, Wilbert Smith was actually able to acquire scientific evidence that these were being repaired. They were terrible around Japan, you can imagine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so maybe some of them are interdimensional, mm -hmm. strictly interdimensional, but I don't think that all of them are. Betty Hill was shown a star map. 12% of those who participated in our survey have been shown star maps of where the entities were from. So, you know, is this deception or is this reality? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But why would they show us star maps and why were they able to identify the star system where Betty's and Barney Hill's uh, entities came from? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they are the key to understanding just how much stranger reality truly is yes. than we believe it to be mm -hmm. very true it is very <laughs> strange and a lot of people have difficulty wrapping their head around this interdimensional mm -hmm. aspect of all of this it took me a long time i thought i would never wade through that but eventually i had the opportunity to in an experiment, meet some interdimensional entities, measure their presence, feel the vibration coming from their bodies, this very strong electrical tingling vibration, mm -hmm. communicate with them telepathically, uh, receive evidence. And this was with a team of researchers. I wrote about this in a different book, Forbidden Knowledge. So it's all in there, but... Um, extraordinary evidence that they uh, can come from other star systems, from other planets. And the, they told us the way to think about this is simply that their vibrational frequency is much higher than ours. And as the vibration increases, the density becomes less solid. So we can't see them, or we uh, might be able to see them as shadow people or shimmering entities if their vibration is lower or our vibration has become higher. Um, so I found that very interesting too, but I've, I finally was able to wrap my head around <laughs> all of, of this when they taught me and they gave me evidence. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's, and, and see, that's uh, where some of that confusion might come in, where people are not necessarily having a paranormal experience, but they think they are because they see a shadow figure mm-hmm. and, and and nobody, you know, immediately thinks, oh, E.T. It's no, that's a <laughs> scary ghost. <laughs> well, when I'm in an E.T. presence with these uh, non-humans mm-hmm. who say they're E.T.s, they, uh, I feel elated. It is such an uplifting feeling. And you have that tense, uh, intense electrical tingling sensation right through your crown chakra, through your whole body. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the, that's a difference between them and these more negative, lower vibrating entities that will come into your environment to cause problems for you. Yeah. And you have had um, your own personal experiences, uh, not not just experimentation, but your own personal experiences. Um, I would love to ask you about that for the Patreon. But uh, yeah, gosh, this has just been absolutely outstanding. Kathleen, I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate getting to speak with you. We didn't even get through half of the questions I I wanted to ask you, but uh, we'll have to do it another time. Um, So here at the end, I uh, have a, some final questions and then we will get some final thoughts from you and we will, we will wrap it up and and we'll, we'll head backstage and talk some more. So um, first question for you. I was curious, who are the main players in the abduction scenario? Which species of ET are more likely to be encountered during these scenarios? The grays are more uh, the most prevalent, according mm-hmm. to our studies. Um, the uh, human-type non-humans are second. And then the uh, insectoid and kind reptilian are sort of third and fourth. And then there are many, many other types that are reported, but far less frequently. Huh. There are kind reptilians? Well, they heal people. Oh, okay. You have a case with DNA evidence where they have healed an individual. So this was a little four foot tall reptilian that came to a woman who had Crohn's disease and and, uh, had had surgery and was in a tremendous amount of pain healed her and MUFON has the DNA evidence that of that reptilian DNA in, in her body. Oh, wow. You know, the, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, she's going to be speaking at the MUFON Symposium oh. in August, the last weekend in August in Cincinnati. Well, actually, across the river from Cincinnati, Covington, Kentucky. Oh, very cool. Oh, my gosh. I'll have to see if I can make it. I'm trying to do uh, more of those appearances and conventions this year. So that would be awesome. Um, All right. All right. Next question for you. Uh, We talked about how a lot of these experiences are positive. Some of them are negative. And my question is simple. It's how do you end unwanted contact? Well, in the book, I've listed uh, several suggestions. If you're having real ET contact with grays and you want it to end, uh, most people are told that they have a contract, that they came into this lifetime uh, under the agreement. I I can't say that it's true or false. I just don't know. That's what people are told. But you just say, I want to end my contract. 
mm -hmm. or I want a reprieve, or you're interfering with my sleep in my life. If you have to take me, um, just let me sleep through it. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. Okay. If you are having contact with more negative types, it's because you have a lower vibration and they're able to attach with to you and remain attached to you and take control of you. So you have to take steps to raise your vibrational frequency in order to detach these entities. Now, you can go to my website and uh, look under my essays, and there are links there on uh, binaural beats you can listen to, on meditations that you can listen to, to raise your vibrational frequency. It's all free, no, no charge whatsoever. I've listed in my book, oh, probably, I don't know, 10 or a dozen different ideas from various researchers. For example, uh, Daryl Sims, who is uh, the alien hunter and the specialist in alien implants, tells us that if the ETs come into your bedroom, um, before they can take control of your mind, just uh, start singing the, uh, a ditty in your <laughs> mind, you know, like M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E, -E, <laughs> just sing that over and over again so that they can't take control of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are, there are helmets that people can purchase to wear on their heads. I can't imagine trying to sleep in one of those. <laughs> yeah, that seems like it would be uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there are a lot of different things that people can do. Uh, Faraday cages around. <laughs> oh, no. Some people go to great lengths to end this. But there are many, many suggestions in uh, extraterrestrial contact. What to do when you've been abducted. There, there certainly are. Listeners, grab you a copy. It's a really great book. Um, all right. Well, final question for you, Kathleen. Um, why do these NHI entities choose to remain hidden, and will that ever change? Well, that's a very good question. They claim, and, and I didn't get just this from just one source, from, I got it from hundreds of sources, that um, they do not want to interfere. They have a non-interference policy. They try to do their work as discreetly and quietly as possible so as not to cause too many problems in human society. And they're very different from us, extraordinarily different. They're very weird to be around, in my <laughs> opinion, and I've been around them. <laughs> they probably think that I'm weird too. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway, um, so they don't want to interfere too badly. They tend to take people now along family lines and uh, to continue to take genetic material in their experiment to try to upgrade uh, sort of the human psyche, the human genetics to create a more survivable species and to raise our vibrational frequency and our spirituality. That's a big uh, goal of theirs is just in raising our level of spirituality so we won't be so 
violent and hateful. Yeah. Well, I hope they succeed in that. That I would hope be nice. So too. <laughs> All right, Miss Kathleen, uh, where would you like folks to find and follow you? And where can they purchase? all of your awesome books. <laughs> you can go to my website for most of that. Uh, I have a blog. I have many essays on contact. You can purchase autographed copies of my books there. Books are also available at Barnes and Noble. You can listen to uh, any of my shows. You can find IMDB, a link to that so that you can see all of the television shows and movies that I've appeared in if you wanna watch any of those. So uh, just a lot of information on my website, where I'm gonna be speaking this year and when, and links to the conferences. Um, so that's a good place. I'm also on Facebook. And so you can request to, to be my Facebook friend and follow me on Facebook as well. Very cool. And to take us out today, uh, would you like to leave us with any final thoughts, words of wisdom, or a piece of advice? Oh, I think that I just want to say no one has all the answers, but I and the, the team at MUFON are doing our best to find the answers, to look for it. We place ourselves in jeopardy sometimes. Well, I've been taken by other people's entities, <laughs> but, <laughs> but and, uh, we do what we can to solve this huge puzzle. Who are they? Why are they here? And also that website of mine, I think I forgot to mention it. It's Kathleen-Marden.com. Wonderful. Yeah, I will have all of your contact info and a couple of links for the books below in the show notes. Kathleen Marden, thank you so much for joining me today. This was such a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for tuning in today, and thank you to Ms. Martin for joining me. Kathleen hopped backstage with me on the Patreon for just a few minutes to discuss her personal experiences with the abduction phenomenon, and also a little bit about intergenerational ET contact. Interesting stuff. You can enjoy this and other backstage guest chats, as well as early access to these episodes, blooper reels, shoutouts on the show, and more all by becoming a patron of the show. Before we go, holla at Black Metal Brunch. I made sure today to have my I'm Dead tea cleaned and ready so that I could wear it while recording. Don't forget, you can get 10% off right now at blackmetalbrunch.com on all of their fine adornments and accessories by simply using code PGP. Easy enough. Final thing before we go, do y'all realize we're at episode 87 right now? Like, how did this happen? How did we get here? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just here for the food. But we will be celebrating the 100th before too long. I would just love to do something special for it, you know? So the mic is yours. Send me your thoughts, your ideas, what you guys want to do, what you want to do. Let's hang out. Let's do something at Paranorm Girl Pod on all of the socials. ParanormGirlPod at gmail.com is the email. Message me. Let me know. That is going to be a wrap on today's show. All for now. I will see you guys next time. 
Until then, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park